uh, Dr. Jason Hafron today. He's here from uh, Michigan Institute of Urology, joining me at the uh, 2019 LOGPA meeting in beautiful downtown Chicago, where it's balmy and, and warm as it always is, somewhere in the or low 20s. But it's not snowing, at least the sun is out. Jason, I want to thank you for joining me and uh, joining Modern Urology. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it, Tom. Yeah. I want to dive, we'll dive right in. I'm going to ask you, know, ask you a question about, you know, one of the things is you're very young. And by definition, you're a lot younger than I am, so you're young, because I'm young. And uh, you know, you've built a, a very good process-oriented practice within um, Michigan City Urology. Can you talk to me how that evolved and how, how you got involved and so involved in it? I think it's, it's, it really stems from my passion or my drive to, to take care of patients. You know, it's, it's always everything that we do, I do, is you know putting the patient first. And as we saw the change in healthcare and the evolving of healthcare, and being in a large group practice, it didn't matter so much what I did; it mattered what our practice did. So early in my career, I kind of just saw that writing on the wall. And I knew for our practice to be successful, everybody in our practice had to be successful. So I just got involved with developing processes to improve our quality of care. And at the same time, you know, the, the healthcare was changing. The reimbursement models are changing, pay for performance, and I just saw a huge need. You know, and selfishly, you know, I get the opportunity to work a lot with industry, partner with industry, and especially in the prostate cancer space, I learned a tremendous amount. So as many of us know, we're going through this you know, massive explosion of technology, pharma, all these great things going on in prostate. And the challenge was, how do we take all these new therapies, new diagnostics, and get them into the hands of my partners? How do they understand how to use it and do it? And again, the overlying goal is, how does the Michigan Institute of Urology deliver the highest quality of care? And, uh, and I saw early, we got to develop better processes, you know, and um, we have to, better processes also involves a lot of education. And I enjoy, you know, teaching my partners, teaching residents, and teaching people about these new technologies and how to integrate them in, into, into our practices. How, how do you get, I mean, the older guys who have been, been there, done that, I know what I'm doing kind of things, to, to engage in, in the new norm for prostate cancer especially. Yeah, I mean, that's a challenge because when we first started talking about improving bone health and, you know, testing for testosterone, all these newer concepts or newer ways to look at a disease that these guys have been treating their whole career, you do get a lot of pushback. And, you, you know, I, I don't take that pushback as criticism or negativity. I don't take that to heart. I just look at it as a challenge. You know, and how do I get breakthrough to that my senior partner who, who doesn't believe in this and who's got 30, 40 years of treating this disease where I'm looking at five years of experience um, treating this disease and he's, he or she, usually he, is, is telling me, you know, this, this is not accurate, you're full of it, Jason, you know, or <laughs> this is manufactured by industry, this is not real. I think what always drives everything is the data, you know. I can always, you know, critically review the literature, critically review the outcomes, and as long as we can show data and show outcomes, you, you can defend it all day long. And I love those arguments. I love that pushback. 
because I can, you know, not, you know, not take it personally and spin it around and show data. That's probably half of my partners want to see the data, want to see the rationale. Another part want to see the financials. I mean, we are in large group practices. We run large corporations. Is a lot of guys want to see what the financial or the revenue, how is this going to affect the bottom line. As much as we don't want to talk about it, that is reality. And um, Yeah, you have to it, stay viable because you can't take care of patients if you can't keep the doors open. Right. And what, what I've learned over my you know, short career is that if you do what the guidelines say, if you follow the literature, you will not only, which is the most important thing, lead you know, the patients higher quality of care, the patients will win, but actually revenue will improve. And uh, that has been very consistent with every new technology, every new thought, is that if you really follow the guidelines and do what you're supposed to do, you, you, revenue will, will improve. Yeah, it sounds counterintuitive that if you adopt new technology and you bring all this new stuff in, that you're actually going to do better. I mean, it really does. Yeah, but that, that goes to the technology. I mean, we have new tools that we never had that you, you know, I didn't even train on. But when you look at the science and the capabilities and the predictability and the ways to look at diseases differently or look at prostate, it's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, that's what gets my, you know, my, you know, gets my blood flowing is to see this, you know, find out what's new and what's being done, how things are being looked at differently. You know, that's, you know, makes it fun, you know, and, and intellectually stimulating to, to, to use these products. You know, comment like, Bone health, it's not what I do. We shouldn't be doing this. How do you guys deal? I, you kind of mentioned it, but you know, throw that one out specifically because I'm sure you've heard that. We don't do bone health, so why are we, do, yeah. why are we dabbling in We've this? heard that. I'm a urologist. I'm not a, a primary care doctor. I'm a surgeon. You know, but I say, do you take care of prostate cancer? Yes. Um, at the end, we all know this, that prostate cancer, majority of the time, becomes a bone problem. And if you're not taking care of the bones or delivering, you know, proper bone health, you're not doing the highest level prostate cancer. You know, you're not treating the whole patient. And, you know, we, I, got a ton, you know I got a ton of pushback from those guys. All right, I've been treating prostate cancer for 30 years. I've never seen a fracture. I've never seen a fall. Well, reality is it's the sixth leading cause of death in this country in men over 65 is falls and fractures. Right, you break a hip and then it's all, we all hear the, the toilet flushes right after the hip breaks. Yeah. Right, so that's the, the, the beginning of the end. So why not try to use these therapies to, to minimize that or, or delay that till to their end of life? So I think the key, you just, you, you, there's plenty of data. I think you just got to look at these diseases differently than we have in the past. You know, bone health, um, when you look at the numbers for osteoporosis for men on ADT, it's four times that of a, a woman, a perimenopausal or postmenopausal woman. Right. We never talk about that in the press. We never hear about that. Every woman's brought up, mom or whoever, doctor, is, is talking about osteoporosis. But the patients that we're treating have it four times than, than a menopausal woman. As a urologist serving primarily men, we have a huge responsibility to these guys. You know, because honestly, if we don't take the charge and take the lead and offer our men the highest quality of care, no one else will. We, don't, we can't rely on primary care. You know, we're talking about prostate and, and cancer, but urologists are a major provider of men's health. And if we don't initiate that or advocate for the man, we know our patients won't. I mean, the classic example is 
when uh, CMS stopped covering mammograms, you know, it started a political um, storm. Right. You know, people, Which was, was less so than when they said they shouldn't cover PSA screening. Right. So when they said, we're not going to cover PSA screening, the average guy was like, great, that means I don't have to go to the doctor anymore. When you, when, you, when you told women you don't need to get a mammogram anymore, they called their senator, they called their representative, they you know, called the press. Totally Guilty. true. Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely, because we don't, you know, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Don't worry about it. But you're right. Um, you run, uh, from what I understand, you run your advanced prostate cancer center. Is that right? Or, yes. Or, or the group of them in your practice. Um, you have all these subdivisions and, and, and things on board with that. Can you kind of just go over the structure? How is that structured? So, you know, the guy comes in, he enter enters into your advanced prostate cancer clinics. First of all, how? And then take me through their, their progress through that clinic. Yeah, so once, once, once a patient develops metastatic prostate cancer, and we recently changed it because of, you know, the advent or the expansion of uh, therapies in uh, can't, uh, castrate it, it, sensitive. Sure. You know, you know, there's all these. Or in that M0 space or whatever, M0 whatever that space. is. But basically, anyone with metastatic prostate cancer, um, there's a lot of new therapies. The therapies are complicated. We decided early that not every urologist should be treating this disease. Why? The, the pace of the literature, you know, the, the discovery that was going on, it was very difficult to keep up with. Um, so we wanted to have guys that were dedicated, passionate about it, that would, you know, keep up their education, keep up with the literature. Um, and also, like anything we do, the more that you do it, the better you'll be. And, you and know, the interest level. And the interest level. Sure. So and at no time did I say intelligence. Right. And I'm, you yeah. know, because it, we weren't, you know, who knows, but we weren't, we're not looking for the smartest guys in the room. We're looking for the guys who are passionate care about the patient. And yeah, and if we were all the smartest guys in the room, we'd probably been dermatologists anyway, <laughs> so we never had to take calls. Yeah, yeah, they probably so. wouldn't have chosen urology. But, you know, we knew that, like everything we do, not everyone in our group does a robotic prostatectomy. I don't treat uh, female incontinence. I don't treat infertility. If we can, you know, get really narrow and really focused and subspecialized, we can do a better job. And that, that just you know, obvious, you know. Do you guys do any kind of, like, for the people that are involved with your, your advanced prostate cancer centers, um, required training or CME specifically in those areas? Because that's what that we try to do for the guys that were involved in ours, is that we mandated that every year they had to have CMEs in that area. Do you no, we're not that, we weren't that sophisticated, but we did, in the first few years, we met monthly. You know, we would meet monthly as a group, uh, we'd bring in speakers, we'd uh, bring in literature, and just as a you know, small collaborative work together and just share ideas, share patients, present patients, and we kind of just worked amongst ourselves to kind of figure it out and, and, and work collegially to understand it. So we'd do it every month we'd meet, we'd, we'd, we'd bring in speakers from around the country, they'd talk to us, we'd, we'd just pound them with questions and you know, we were just trying to sponge up as much knowledge as we could. And uh, we've slowed down a little bit, you know, the pace of the literature slowed down and we've gotten to understand the disease. But we still meet and we still, you know, uh, one thing that we do is we'll do virtual um, case, case reports or tumor, you know, you know, we'll shoot out an email. I got so-and-so patient with this, this, and this. You know, we got a group opinion. What would you do? 
I think that's been very beneficial, and, and we learn a lot. You know, we just learn from each other, and coming to these meetings. I mean, you know, exchanging ideas with see what other groups are doing. See and, what, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. you know, you're constantly at the coffee break. What are you doing with this? How are you doing that? And you would just, you know, I keep a, I still do keep a sheet, you know, from every meeting, and just jot down a million notes. And it, it, it's 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 crazy how much I can pick up just by talking to people from around the country, because our challenges in Detroit, are, you know, where your challenges in in Charlotte, it's the same it's the same disease. Yeah. And it as we, and that was the fun of it. I mean, that is the fun of it. Talking to your friends around the country and picking their brains and and fun, essentially developing best practices. Yeah. Um, I'm going, to get, I'm going to dive in a little specifically and ask you about your thoughts because um, I'm curious what your thoughts are and how your, your practice does on um, sequencing of treatment. I know it's a, it's, a, it's a black box and no one knows the right answers and there's not enough data on it yet, but what are, you, what are your thoughts and your, your guys' clinics on how you sequence these guys through their you know, you, you know, through ba- the process? Yeah, basically we set up, we, we clarified sequencing. The, the, with knowing we don't know what no one knows sure the you know, you know i'm not going to hold you to this this isn't the gospel according to Hafron. <laughs> yeah but not yet anyway but but what we 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 just developed our own sequence and we, you know in the metastatic castrate resistant prostate cancer based on the uh you know the literature was available and still available as we see we knew we wanted to get our immunotherapy in early so once he was castrate resistant we would just hit him with um, CIP-T, cell T, mm-hmm. and then uh, we go right to an oral oncolytic. And that, and you know, that's my pathway. Did you wait, or do you wait on the oral oncolytics until um, you know, after they finish their uh, yeah, yeah, CIP-T? It's a, or it's do a you... great question, and there's variability. Um, some of our guys will wait. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us, and, you know, I, I talked to the company about this, most people now are just going right into the oral. So doing concomitant. Essentially concomitant therapy. You know, and based on some of the data that's out there, the quartile data, the Paul Schellhammer data, uh-huh. um, that was a, you know, that was a, uh, an awakening or a, a, a shocking paper that said, we got to jump on these guys. You know, earlier is better. And you know, it's still holding up. There's data coming out that will will show that recent data. If you catch them as early as possible, they will do better. And we didn't know that at first when we designed our protocol, but we just intuitively sense that. Yeah, it's and kind that, of teleologic. It's yeah, yeah it makes sense. If you have less disease, less burden of disease, if you kill ninety percent of it, and you have a million cells, you're left with a hundred thousand. But if you have ten million cells, you're left with a million cells. Exactly. So we we just said earlier is better. You say that you will start your, your second-line androgen or anti-androgen therapy early. Uh, what about things like, I'm sure people push back a little bit, like if you're giving something with prednisone, is there a problem with the CYP-T in prednisone? Concern at first, but, you know, but it, there's, been, there's been actually studies that show it's fine. Yeah, it's a physiologic dose. So. It's physi- low dose, and it's no big deal. We don't worry about that. You yeah. could do it concomitantly. Um, you can do concomitant extendi. Um, it's it's safe. I yeah. mean, Provenge is you know what we focus on is the Shellhammer data, which mm-hmm. you know you give one month of therapy and you literally can add one year of life if their PSA is below 22. And recently, the Proceed data is even more impressive, and it's a more modern look. And when their PSA is even lower, they they'll do even better. Yeah. So, so I mean, it's been really cool to see 
how yeah, great... It's progressing. It yeah. is progressing. You look at Proceed uh, data, which is our most recent snapshot of what's going on in advanced uh, prostate cancer. These guys are getting out four years. You know, when you, I'm sure when you were training... Um, they died. They died. Yeah, and, when we didn't, and we didn't even see them. Right. We got, they, if they, as soon as they metastasized, they were gone. And the beauty is these guys, you can get four years out of these guys and good quality. You yeah. Know, the nice thing about all these new therapies is it's so well tolerated. They, they doesn't, it doesn't disrupt their life. They're able to maintain a high quality of life. And that's really cool, you yeah. know, and it's impressive. Yeah. I know we, we talked a little bit beforehand that, that you like to cook. Let me give you a scenario here. This is a non-prostate scenario. I came home the other day and I had... Only thing in the house was cumin, turmeric, parsnip, and duck. Uh, I'm going to play chops here. What would you do with that? Like you know, you're the cooking, cook. Yeah. Cooking channels. That, I'm that, asking you, what would you do? The parsnip and the duck, it's like uh, and the cumin. Wow, that's a challenge. I would uh, probably use the turmeric on the duck, saute it, you know, um, and add a little turmeric on it. I don't know what I would do with the parsnip. Like, who likes oh. parsnips? Oh, parsnip is awesome. <laughs> and parsnip is my secret ingredient for um, making uh, chicken soup. Oh. If you ever do that, yeah. you make a matzo ball soup, <laughs> throw a parsnip in it, and it, it, it adds a sweetness to it that's, that's really incredible. Unlike my mother who liked to put green pepper in it and would ruin oh, it. No, 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 that would be terrible. Yeah, no. it would be awful. Um, totally switching gears here. Uh, young urology. You're very young, especially to be as advanced in what you do, uh, and, and I give you a whole lot of praise for that, you know, taking charge of things, and a lot of young guys are intimidated to do that in their practice, especially in the large practices. Um, where do you see, or, or how are you trying to influence people like yourself that are young, that have good ideas and need to step up and become leaders? Because we old guys, the leaders that are old, you know, are either retiring, dying off, or, or, or just can't do it anymore because it's, it takes a toll on you. So, you know, go with that. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it started with, with, again, with the data. You know, when you look at the, the census data in, in U.S. urology, a, th a third of urologists are 65 and older. Okay. That's scary. Very scary. Yeah. That's the working urologist. A third is 65 and older. We're the second oldest specialty in the U.S. What's the oldest? Uh, cardiovascular surgery. Scary. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit different, but, um, you know, it's reality. I mean, you think sure. of your friends who are heart surgeons. There's not many young heart surgeons right now. And the average age of a urologist is 58 years old. So there's a huge vacuum that's being created. Half the urological workforce could retire in the next decade. At the same time, and, you know, the urology residency programs, the quality of the urology residents is, is phenomenal. I mean, we have the, you know, I work a lot with residents, and these kids are brilliant. They've done, you know, thank God I went through when I went through because I don't think I could have gotten into uh, these I, residency programs. I don't think I could have gotten into medical school now. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at these resumes and what these kids have done. So we have so much talent coming up. The guys we're bringing in are smart, talented, motivated. And seeing that vacuum or that, this problem, we have to rely and we have to empower our younger guys quicker than any other specialty. We gotta get these guys trained up. And it's a lot of training and not so much the medicine or the urology, it's training them to be leaders. It's training them to develop pathways, to develop protocols, think beyond their practice 
and themselves and think about their practice actually or think about the specialty as a whole because we we have major issues so uh, two years ago uh, Neil Shore asked me to, to develop this LUGPA forward which is um, members that are less than 15 years out of residency um, we need to work on these guys because leaders don't you know it doesn't happen overnight right it's a process you know and the more that we can get these guys involved in leadership positions create this ascendancy educate them teach them like most major corporations do you know every major corporation will send their you know their leadership for training and medicine, we probably do, we do a very poor job of that. And those were kind of the theories that we saw. And it really came out of when I was with Neil at a Prostate Cancer Academy where we trained residents and early-stage early career guys. And, you know, we were looking at the audience, and we looked at the audience at Prostate Cancer Academy, and it looks totally different than the audience here at the meeting. You know, it was more women, more minorities, uh, younger people and Neil said we got to change this because we as an organization need to look more like the current generation than what we look today so we've made concerted efforts to get minorities to get women involved and all under the auspice of this leadership uh, development to, to develop guys to run our groups you know and progress our progress the field you know these are the guys who are gonna you know incorporate the new technologies and new new therapies and that's what we're really focusing on so it's been exciting I, you know the cool part of this is I meet some incredible people you know really talented people with outstanding record you know CVs and super smart guys and it's fun you know you get to really you know be, you know become friends with them and ultimately help them to help you progress the field right well I want to thank you for for joining us today for Modern Urology, and uh, I wish you luck. And, and, and you know, really appreciate what you do for advancing medicine, and, and especially I'm gonna I'm gonna harp on this because at such a young age, it's great. It's just <laughs> I'm getting and, old though. I'm getting I'm not that young. You probably feel old. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wait till you, you know, there's not, I don't see a whole lot of gray hair, and there's still a lot of it. So you know, wait wait ten, twelve years, and you'll look. You know, unfortunately, more like me. And uh, but uh, thanks no, again. And thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's an excellent opportunity. Thank you. All right. Take care.